if you won't, um, I don't know. I, I could have said something. Yeah, I could have said something. It would have came out really bad, so I won't say it. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today is a special faith promise service. We'll pre be presenting at the end of the message an opportunity for everyone to be in involved in fulfilling the vision of this 250-seat sanctuary at the close of the message. Like Crystal said, we'll be bringing them up and putting them in these glass offering jars our, both our offering, our special offering, and our faith promise cards. Make no mistake, our vision at Cornerstone is not just to build a bigger church. It's not to lift our name up, but to lift up the name of Jesus. He said that when we do that, he'll draw all men onto himself. So let's keep our focus on the souls that these 250 seats represent the 85% unchurched in our county, your friends, your family members who need a place to hear the message of hope and healing. That's what this sanctuary represents. The title of today's message is giving is the language of love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, begin by reading in verse 1. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Father, we thank you for your word right now. We ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. Lord, to to hear and receive all you have for us today in this message, in this word, the seed planted in our heart that we trust will produce a harvest, a harvest of righteousness. Lord, that will not just affect our life or our family, but this culture, this world, our county, God. Jesus' name. Amen. One of the biggest, if not the biggest, deception 
is the belief that your Christian walk has nothing to do with giving. I mean, think about it. God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, simply speaking, Jesus said uh, in, in Brenda translation, you have an obligation to give freely. Why? Because you have been given to freely. Everything we have has been given to us. So why do we think? I mean, you, come on. Don't we correct our children when they start grabbing a hold of their own toys and won't share? And start, mine, mine, mine. Or they start pulling things out of your hand, demanding that they want it. Why? Because it's not theirs. It was given to them. So we start teaching right away at an early age. Give, share. It's good to give. I mean, Aubrey's two years old. And you have to correct her and help her understand. And I say it all the time. It's good to share. It's good to share. We want to share. It's good to share. So why do we get to that age where all of a sudden now we're withholding again and think that it's okay? Giving is the language of love. If you don't believe me, what do you do for birthdays, anniversaries, celebrations at times, weddings? Right. Did I get that in there? You give gifts. You give. Why? Because it is the language of love. And every person who their love language is acts of service, you know this well. Or, or gifts, right? You know this well. Why? Because it's not just what you give. It's how even you gave it. Right? For those of us who their love language is gifts, we don't just want to unwrap the gift. We want to hear the whole story that goes along with when did you think about getting me this gift? Where did you find this gift? How did you hide this gift? How did you wrap this? It's everything. Why? Because it is the language of love. Giving is the language of love. So why do we continue to argue and debate to be selfish and to hold on to what wasn't even yours to begin with? I mean, have you ever spoken to a Christian that doesn't believe in giving? I'm sure we all have at one time or another. Or they can narrow it down and say, well, I don't believe in whatever part of giving. Giving at all just... I can't even believe. Anyway, I won't go there either. And we want to debate. We want to argue. And we start throwing out scriptures that, you know, prove that, yes, you have to give. I would, I would ask that you just simply return a question back to them when they want to debate that they have grounds for withholding. Um, why? What do you think that can produce? What good can that produce? What can you benefit from that? And as if you believe that we're all part of a body, how does the rest of the body benefit from that? If you believe that withholding is 
good <laughs> or is right? Then answer some tough questions. How? I mean, I can do the same with yes and giving, right? How does giving benefit the body? How does giving benefit the church? Are you guys already coming up with answers in your mind when I'm asking that? Or should I throw out some? Like the lights? I mean, we could shut them all off right now. Something simple. The air conditioner. The air conditioners, right? The staff, right? The coffee out there. You know, everything. Um, the benevolence. We were able to help somebody. That their electricity, I think it was, was being shut off. And they're part of our church. And they called and reached out to the church. If there was no giving, how could that happen? So I would simply ask, if you're here today, or you know somebody, take the same question back to them. Not in arrogance. I, I don't like talking to people or having conversations that come off and I know better and you don't, you're stupid. I just, I don't, I don't like that. So questions seem to come out more naturally in my conversations and ask what, what can be benefited? Who benefits? What good can come from? I mean, think about it. God is love, right? And he opposes anything that stands in opposition to love. Correct? Am I going to have to ask lots of questions so you guys stay awake this morning? Is it too cold in here or too hot in here? Just right. Okay. Oh, Lord. That could be scary, too. So if God stands in opposition to anything that opposes love, what's the opposite of love? Yeah. If love is giving, I mean, most people think the opposite of love is hate. I know you're all being quiet because you're like, trick, trick question. I'm not saying the opposite. If if love is giving, the opposite of love would be not giving, withholding, selfishness. Right? Let me prove it to you here. Because I, I tell you this all the time, um, because we have to retrain our mind. Because the culture has raised us up to believe that love is selfish. It's what you can give me to produce these goosebumps that make me believe you love me. And that's not it at all. And the minute I don't receive these goosebumps anymore and this, you know, butterflies in my stomach, we must have fallen out of love and it's all over and that's not true either first corinthians 13 is the definition of what love is and if you read this there is no selfishness in it if you start living like you're supposed to be living and that's living love this is what it looks like so the opposite of this would read, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is not patient. Love is not kind. 
It envies everyone, wants everything that everyone else has. It boasts all the time. Look at what I have. Look at what I'm doing. I'm right. You're wrong. It's proud. It's rude. It's always self-seeking. It is easily angered. It always keeps records of all wrongs done to it. Love always delights in evil. It never rejoices with truth. It never protects. It never trusts. It never hopes. And it never perseveres. And what does that sound like? Selfishness. It's not love. It's selfishness. So the opposite of love is selfishness. Withholding. Keeping for yourself. Self-seeking, it says. Selfishness robs you of love. It's like that vacuum that sucks it right out of you. The minute you start looking at, I need to keep, I need to, you know, myself, take care of myself, take care of my family. It sucks true love right out of your heart, right out of your life. That's why God placed such a high level of importance on giving because giving pushes selfishness out. Right? Giving pushes selfishness out. Jesus spoke more about giving than any other subject. The first sin took place because one reason taking something for themselves higher than the basic instructions of God. Did God really say that? Why can't I have that? It looks good. I want that. The first murder took place out of jealousy on the principle of giving to the Lord. And wanting that favor that somebody else had. Cain wanted the favor his brother Abel was receiving from God. God told him if he would just do right in regards to his offering, he would receive that same favor. Yet he gave him a warning. God gave him a warning. Sin is waiting for you. It's crouching at your door, desiring to have you. And it was that selfishness that swung that door of murder wide open and let sin in. Love is what fills the believer's heart. When selfishness is driven out by giving. So what does your giving say about you? Did you know money talks? Haven't you heard that? There was a poem I read. I don't know if it was a poem. I think it was a story. John G. Lake wrote it. I should have found that. Um, it was called The Nickel. And it. It spoke as if the nickel itself was talking. Where is this nickel? And back at his days, it still wasn't much. A nickel wasn't much. 
but it talked about where that nickel was and what it was giving. Oh, look, I'm getting ready to, you know, and it would go through these things. Money talks. People talk. People talk more about money than any other subject, too. Why? Because we hold such a high value. You talk about what's valuable to you. That's why a Twitter-pated teenager or 20-something or 30-something, I guess it doesn't matter, 40, I've known 50-somethings that fall in love, and that's all they can talk about is whatever you value. I'm, say, I'm asking you, what is your offering, what is your giving saying about you? There's three stories I'll tell you about Matthew 26, not stories, sorry. In Matthew 26, the woman with the alabaster box, the sinful woman, it was the woman that was forgiven much, that came with her alabaster jar, box, full of this expensive perfume that, I mean, the disciples and all these guys standing around were, you know, complaining about how expensive, how extravagant that amount that she just broke open and poured out, wasted, as they thought, in anointing Jesus was. Well, don't they know she could have sold that and given this and given that? I mean, have you ever given and then try to give testimony of about what happened only to receive or to hear later from family and friends that, well, you should have done this with that money or you should have done that with that. And I can't believe you didn't do that about that. And Jesus responded to these disciples because her offering meant that it meant everything that she had. And she gave it to the Lord. She broke it before him. She broke it and lavished it upon him. And Jesus tells his disciples, what she has done is a beautiful thing to me. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Her giving, her offering, will forever be a testimony. Her offering still speaks. In Mark 12, when Jesus was at the temple, said that he was sitting across from where the offering plate was, the offering bucket, the offering tub, and watching people as they came in and giving their offering. So no, don't tell me that Jesus isn't concerned with your giving. Or what you give. But he pointed out the greatest giving, the greatest offering was not the great big do 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 I told you about when the rich men came in and dropped the most coins in. They created that offering bucket to actually make noise depending on how much money you poured in there. Kind of like, has anybody ever seen or was that like too long ago? Where you put this quarter in this little thing and it goes around and around and around. Have you seen those before? And it like for a long time that sound was kind of like that. That they created the, the offering 
receptacle to make a clanking noise that almost announced how much money you put in there. So the rich men would walk in and dump their big coins in there, and all of a sudden, you know, da, 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 and they would walk in, hello, that was my offering. And yet the widow walked in, ding, ding, dropped in a couple pennies, basically. And Jesus said, guys, guys, come here, come here. That's it, right there. She gave the biggest, the greatest offering. And they're like, tink, tink, what? Didn't you hear the other guys? It was like, you know, you know, as they were dropping all these coins. And she, tink, tink, what? And listen, Jesus said, because they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Did you notice that when we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? That it said in there, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That widow's tink, tink offering, given all she had to live on, caught the attention of Jesus. Her offering had Jesus talking. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain, his brother, did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. You see, it's not like Krista was saying, just what you can do. As a matter of fact, in that chapter 8 that we read, it goes on to say, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Well, then who was it? By faith. God. By faith. God. Three times in that one verse, it says in Hebrews 4, by faith, by faith, by faith. You cannot say you love someone and not trust them. You know, and let me just throw this back for a second. I hope I don't chase rabbit trails. But when Brian and I was going through our hard times. Oh, I'll say it that way. Um, that was one point of contention with me over and over again. And to the counselor, I would throw it back in their face. To the pastor, I'd throw it back in his face that I cannot trust. If How can I trust? How can I trust? How can I trust? How can I trust? Because they were saying, you know, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and that was the one I stumbled over all the time. But you cannot 
say you love if you don't trust? See, it's the world's way to put limits and restrictions on love. Well, I'll love you if. You gotta earn it. Right? That's not God's way. By faith. By faith. In your giving, if you just do what you can do, where's God needed in that? Where's the faith? God commended Abel in his offering because he offered the first. The first. He didn't pay all of his bills first, eat all he could first, and then looked at what was left over and said, Oh God, here, here's an offering to you. Where's faith in that? By giving that first part, he said, God, you're who gave this to me in the first place. God, I don't know what will come of the rest, but I still give you the best. By faith, by faith, by faith. And that's what Cain was jealous over was the favor that God was showing to his brother Abel because Abel trusted, by faith, trusted God with the first, with the best. Here it is, Lord. Here's my life. Same thing that woman did. Everything she had. Same thing the widow did. Everything she had. By faith, I give it to you. And then the wellness, the wellspring, I should say, of God's favor and goodness and provision and blessing upon their life came after that. And the first one, Jesus said, everyone's going to be talking about your gift, your offering of that alabaster box, that expensive perfume that, that represented all she had. Jesus told his disciples right in the temple, pointed at that widow and said, that's it. That's it, guys. Teach this. Teach this. Teach this. It's not out of your wealth. It's not out of your abundance that when you give it, it's noticed, but it's when you give out of, like they said in, in the chapter eight, out of extreme trial, out of extreme poverty, what their joy welled up in them to be able to, it said, it went on to say that they urgently pleaded with the privilege to give. Why? Because they knew that there was grace. Remember what grace is? It's heaven empowerment. It's divine empowerment to do. It's divine empowerment to be. That that grace comes through giving. Will your giving cause others to speak about your sacrifice? Will your giving catch the attention of Jesus? Will your giving have God himself retelling the story of your great sacrifice. What is your giving saying about you? And what will today's giving and faith promises say about us as a church? You see in Proverbs it says a righteous man lays up an inheritance 
for his children's children. And I always used to read that like it was, there, oh, that's instruction for me personally to make sure I'm putting money away for my kids and my kids' kids and kids' kids' kids and, and all that. But it's also talking about us as a body, as a church, and the foundation that we're building, the legacy that we're leaving to them, their inheritance. What are we going to give? What are we building? What are we leaving for them? Think about it. We are here for such a time as this. We are building an inheritance for our children and our children's children. With this 250 seat sanctuary, I make sure whenever I take people out there and walk them around, because when we have guests or whatever that come in, I always ask them, hey, did, did you get a tour of what's being done right now? Um, and I love taking them through that tour, but I don't let it stop there. I show them, yeah, 250. Actually, 272 seats, but we just kind of said 250 seats. And there's this, you know, stage, and there's the sound booth, and this is uh, the door in the hallway. But then I make sure to let them know it's just another step. So then I take them right quickly and say, when you look out these glass doors right here, this is all going to be the kids' wing. And they're going to have their own classrooms over here. The nursery is going to be right here. They're going to have this big multi-purpose room over here so they can have their own kids services there. And outside that door will be a fenced in playground. So they're kept safe. They're secure in there. And it's all going to be, you know, so you can't, nobody can just come into that wing. It's going to be nice and secure. And every parent, we're going to have monitors in the room so that they can at any time check on their kid by just clicking on their phone during service and know, oh, baby's not screaming, baby's okay. Oh, and then by the way, if you look back over here in the sanctuary and look toward the stage, when we get ready, because this is going to fill up so fast because it was 85% unchurched in our county alone. This is actually the phase that the drawings you guys had, master drawings made like 10 years ago. This is year to the next sanctuary that's going to be built. I want to see. I want to keep my eyes open. I want to help people see past here and now and see the inheritance that we're building for our children's children. I want to make sure that when I lay my head down for the last time to go be with the Lord, that I can know that I will hear the well done, good and faithful servant. That I've been a good steward of all the resources he's given. That I've laid up and created such a place and such a, a, an opportunity for those that are coming up behind us. To keep reaching farther, reaching more and winning the loss. See, so many prophecies have been foretold of where you and I are standing today. Let's not let those prophecies go unfulfilled. Think about Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. 
I think it was supposed to be like a 40-day trip from Egypt to the promised land. And yet God took them in such a way. And then when they finally got, why? Because he was trying to work out of them their slave, their poverty mindset. And bring into their mind and into their uh, work, into their culture, if you will, that we are king's kids. Before they got into the promised land. And then they got right up to the, the promised land. And what kept them from entering it? Doubt. Unbelief. We can't do that. What are you talking about? There's giants in that land. There's debts this big. There's, there's this much money that still needs to be raised in that 250C sanctuary. We can't look around. We can't do that. Do we want to be the generation that has to die away because we can't believe God? See, Israel had to be rerouted. Why? To wait for that generation of doubters and unbelievers to die before they could enter the promised land. On October 20th, 2018, we broke ground for the new sanctuary. At that dedication service, we declared that this work would begin and that through our faithfulness and our sacrifice, we would see it through to completion with God's help. Here, we are almost a year later. Exterior of the building is complete and now we need to finish the interior of the building and here is where we stand feels like right at the edge of the promised land and you're thinking what more do we have to offer I'm saying God believes in a whole lot more than what you believe I guess I mean you're right you can look at your bank account and say I don't have it to give but where did that little boy Get the boldness, get the faith to believe that his sack lunch could feed the multitude. And yet he still brought it to the disciples. Because once it was placed in Jesus' hands, hello. I mean, think about Israel when they stood at that promised land. What kept them from going in? We feel like grasshoppers. We look like grasshoppers, not in their eyes, but in our own eyes. What can we do? We can't do anything. I'm looking at my bank account. What can this do? I'm looking in my purse. What can this do? Right? Unbelief. So when we see the mountain before us, when we see the 250-seat sanctuary in front of us and we look around today and think, what? Let that extreme trial, let that extravagant, you know, poverty, is that the words that he used? No, he said, sorry. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, but their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty 
welled up in rich generosity. Why? By faith, by faith, by faith. They trusted God. And so the boards asked me to put out before you so you know. Again, I did the best I could last night quickly. Um, I know some of you like complaining about the internet service not being very good for the hour, hour and a half you're here on Sunday, but I live here. And so if anybody could complain, I could complain more than any one of you. Because I live here every day. And how long did we have internet yesterday? Bum, bum, zero. Got up this morning, five o'clock. Internet's back on. Nice. I do need it today. Needed it yesterday, though, too. But anyway, I did the best I could. So if the numbers aren't accurate, the board will correct me Tuesday at the meeting, right? Um, but I wanted to give you the numbers, the breakdown. And so I had um, Karina put a slide together so you can see what I'm seeing. Uh, it's kind of small. Um, it's also on the back wall over there. So after service, if you look on it, it's on there as well. I tried to break it down so you could see right now what job needs to be done, the cost, the estimate. Um, is it in progress? And then be able to mark if it's completed. And again, this is what we have left to finish. And as of that today's date, okay, today's date. Right now in progress is the electrician, what he's done so far, what he still has to do in order for Cherryland Electric to run our service from the road back to this 800 amp service that he's built. Um, he's also pre-wired um, the AV. Um, all the audiovisual stuff that we'll need. He's also pre-run uh, the conduit and wires that we're going to need for the kids' wing phase so that all that stuff is pre-done. Um, he still will have to come back in after drywall is done to do the final um, electrical covers and all that stuff. So he still has a little bit more. He'll have to clean up um, downstairs our service that we have right now, the the panel so that we get the final inspection, the green light. Um, so he does have more work, but right now he's needing to be paid $35,600. It's real close to that. I kind of rounded up or, or down um, so you're not looking at cents and everything, but $35,600. Yes, it's in progress. No, it's not completed because we need to write him a check. Um, Cherryland Electric, just to extend the service from the road to that box, is $5,907. We need that money right now to be able to then move on to the heating and cooling, which is going to be at least $29,000. They need to do the plumbing and the bathrooms and the janitor room because this over here, remember, in that hallway, and you can always look back there on the blueprint, um, multi you call them seated multi bathrooms would you call them seated? I don't know uh, <laughs> they're going to be two bathrooms right there plus a janitor's closet so that where the janitor's closet is now will be the another entrance so that people that park on this side don't have to go through that office to come in here because once we're over there this is all kids here so this will be a monitored or secured area so the kids have to be checked in to come in here so we obviously don't want p 
people to be walking in this way. We also don't want people to be walking all the way around the building. I had a, a visitor do that, a visiting couple. I, I didn't realize it till after it was all done, but we saw them starting to walk around the building. I'm like, why did you? And they're like, well, we thought parking was over here because they were coming from this way, saw cars. And so they were walking all the way around the front yard. So a new entrance right here so people can enter that park on this side um, needs to be done. And then I broke down the rest of it. I put all the way down to um, flooring and chairs as well. Uh, my idea, though, is, hello, we'll take all the chairs we have and move them over there until we can buy new ones. I don't care about that. So, I mean, if that's going to stop your giving, well, why do we need to buy more chairs? We don't. Okay, that's fine. But here it is. It's laid out for you. It's going to be on, it's on that back wall. But just so you know, oh, I think I said it in the letter that everybody received too. $40,000 is what we need right now. Well, real close to it. Well, actually over that, right? For the electrician and Sherry Land Electric. And that's what the special offering is for today. The special building fund offering, we need to get that $40,000 in to pay them quickly, quickly. And again, remember, this is what, I don't remember if it was February before we broke ground. Yes, it was. It was the February or March that we had our annual business meeting that we presented this to you. This is how much we think the building's going to cost. This is how much that we're going to need. What are we going to do? We're going to go get a try to get a loan for all of it, or what do you want to do? At that time, I think we had um, close to seventy thousand dollars in our building fund account, and everybody unanimously voted. We're going to do it by faith. We're building by faith. We'll build by cash, and we broke ground then in August. And so that's what this means to build by faith, to build by cash is that as the cash comes in, we build. That's why everything's been at a standstill the last three weeks since our last board meeting. Three weeks. Zero progress. Because we need $40,000 to move on. So these faith promise cards that you're all holding are not, like Crystal said, what you can do. Let me give you a little bit of instructions before you fill out the card what a, a faith promise is by telling you what it is not. It is not a contract. It is not something that only you can do. It is, in fact, a promise that, God, I'm going to stand in faith, believing that you and I together, me doing my part, you doing your part, can agree and believe for this amount, whether it's broken down by the week, by the month, or one lump sum. It's up to you. It helps the board be able to understand where your heart is in building by where your treasure is. Does that scripture sound familiar? I 
think I wrote it down. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We look at these as a board to know where your heart is. Is everybody all in? Is everybody all for? Are we really believing God can do this through us in our faithfulness? It helps us make those determinations. This is not about equal gifts. So it's not, you know, let's sneak a peek at our neighbor and see what they wrote down. But it is equal sacrifice. See, to the, the woman with the alabaster box of expensive perfume that her gift, her offering, could have been in the thousands the widow with her couple pennies. See, it wasn't that their amounts equaled each other, but their sacrifice did. One gave all she had, the other one gave all she had. So their sacrifice were equal. So that's why I put down there not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we go on to read in verses 10. Paul goes on after he said, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Verse 10, he says, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the not you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eagerness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there would be equality. When is there equality? When everybody's doing their part. Not equal gifts, not equal amounts, but equal sacrifice. I mean, think about this. If we are all in one of these boats where everybody was rowing and one person is setting back with their feet up, saying, well, everybody else is rowing, why do I have to row? there be just a little bit of animosity there I know some of us would want to take our oar and kind of spur that brother on to love and good works right it's not so that oh well the rich ones in the in the church will will give so I don't have to do anything no so that everyone is doing their part. It's it's called, I mean, I could preach a whole message just on, it's called synergy. It's when all the parts give sacrifice equally, not in what they do, but how they do it, their belief, 
their faith, their sacrifice, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And three, like I'm saying, it must be filled out in faith. It has to have faith. If it's just what you can do, then it's not done in faith. Commit to do what you can do, but also factor in what only God can do. That's faith. And yes, by faith, it means it will cost you something. It should cost you something. Or it's not faith. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. I mean, David said, remember when there was a plague that broke out? Actually, he asked for it. I won't get into that whole story, but God said, you're disobedient. I'll give you three choices. Choose behind door number one, two, or three what your punishment is going to be. You ever do that to your children? Oh, bless you. You ever do that to your children? Yeah, I, I see. Yes. All right. Some mother back there. All right. Yes. Hey, guess what? Here's your punishment. You choose one of the three. Well, same thing with David. His disobedience, God said yes, and he did repent. God said, well, there's still a punishment for your disobedience. Here's three choices. And so he chose the one that would last only three days, but the three days it was a plague, and it was like wiping out hundreds of thousands of people. And he cried before the Lord and said, I was wrong. I shouldn't have taken that. I was the one that was disobedient. Put it back on me and my family. And so God relented, had mercy. But he said, you're going to go to that place where this angel of death was last at when, when God stopped him and said, sacrifice an offering there on that threshing floor. And when David showed up, King David and all his entourage, right, showed up to this man's house. He didn't know what was going on. And David says, I want to buy your threshing floor, threshing floor to build an altar. Sacrifice to God. He's like, hey, have it. Keep it. You know, it's yours. You know, whatever. Take all my wood. Take all my animals. It's all yours. And the king says, no way, man. I can't sacrifice and give an offering to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. Why? Me. A sacrifice. The word itself means it, it's sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. That's where faith steps in. So today as you're holding your, your faith promise card. I want you to ask God right now in the quietness of, of the room, which sometimes too quiet. Ask God, what are we going to do, Lord, together? What's my part, Lord, together with you? And take a couple minutes right now and fill this out. The board needs these. I'm sorry. It's not something. And that's why we wanted to get the letter out to you and get these cards out to you. So, And I hope we had everybody's mailing address and you had these cards ahead of time. But we have to. We have a board meeting on Tuesday. And we have to make a decision on what we're going to do to complete that new sanctuary. And the offering today and these faith promises um, is going to be the deciding factor on what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Uh, so 
If you've got it filled out, would you please just stand where you are? And I want to pray over the offering. I want to pray again over these faith promises. And then we're going to bring these up front. And I want you to place your cards and your offerings for this special offering for the building fund into these glass jars offering buckets I guess they can be called now uh, but let me pray this over you I put this in the letter Philippians 4 18 through 20 I want us to continue to pray together and standing on this scripture that our offering and our faith promises today will be a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God then it says and then my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus but it starts with the offering it starts with the sacrifice and then my God will and then my God will so Father, right now, we lift up these faith promises to you. We lift up this offering to you right now like a little boy's lunch, it feels like at times. It seems so small compared to uh, the money that's needed still to complete this sanctuary. Lord, but we know that when we place it in your hands, God, that when we give and when we, when we stand by faith, by faith, by faith, and sacrifice and give to you, not out of our, our overall means, out of what we can give, but out of what we have and, and what we actually need, Lord, at times. We can't see, Lord, how we're going to be taken care of if we give this. But that's where faith, that's where trust. And that's the language of love. Is to give to you all that you've already given to us. We give back to you, God. We trust that you will, out of your glory, your riches, provide and take care of us. We trust you. And we do believe that giving is the language of love. And so let this giving, let this offering speak volumes of our love for you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?